If you have a Bible this evening, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and chapter 19. King Saul resents, and then he persecutes David. Now, we know David's not a youngster anymore. We know he tended the sheep for his, uh, for his father, Jesse. We know that he, has, uh, he was able to kill Goliath. And so David's a young man now. He's in the military uh, for Saul. But uh, Saul just has this hatred. And the ladies are not going to help. David comes back from a victory. Saul comes back with him. They're victorious. And the ladies begin to sing. And they begin to sing uh, a song for Saul. But then they sing a greater song for David. And so can you imagine what went through the king's heart? And so we're going to look tonight... Uh, Michal, in the Hebrew, it means who is like God. She's the younger daughter of King Saul. She becomes David's wife. This happened after David had become a hero by slaying Goliath. Saul offered to give Michal uh, to David as his wife. But instead of a dowry, which is very important in Israel, Saul requested of David 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Saul was hoping that David would be killed by the Philistines. A deep hatred uh, has settled into his heart uh, towards David. But instead, listen to this, and we're going to read that tonight. Uh, David won an impressive victory, and he had his warriors kill uh, 200 Philistines and purposely brought back their foreskins and counted them in front of King Saul. And then so Saul presents Michal uh, to David to become his wife. But remember, God has rejected Saul as king, and David has been anointed now. Now David doesn't know how long this is going to take place, and Saul doesn't know how long it's going to take place. But one thing I've seen in the past of studying this, it gives David an opportunity uh, to learn from Saul. And I think that's important. When we see failures in the scripture, it's so easy for us to point our finger at it and say like, Peter, man, Peter, what's your problem? You deny the Lord three times. Well, we should glean from that. We should learn from that because that could be us. And we could have this position in our heart where I have resentment against a brother or a sister in Christ. And be careful with that, because resentment takes deep roots. And then the next thing you're following up with resentment is persecution. Let's see what I can do to this brother or sister in Christ. Let's see what, how I could get even, because they've wronged you. And yet the Bible says to pray for our enemies. And so we learn from the mistakes of others, not uh, to glean from them and say, see, Vengeance is, saith, saith, we know that vengeance, saith the Lord, is his, but uh, look at look at Saul, he's trying to do it on his own. He was wrong. He was desperately wrong. And so let's get into this portion, resentment, and then persecution towards David. And so 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're going to see the resentment. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, and I want you to see this tonight. Uh, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This same phrase occurs 
uh, throughout the scriptures, you'll see it. But I was thinking about Jacob and his love for Joseph, his son. And he didn't hold back that love. And the sons did not like Joseph. And what did they do? Sold him off to slavery in Egypt. But there's this relationship with Jonathan, which is Saul's son, and David. But I want you to see this here tonight. It's very important for me to teach it. It's not a homosexual relationship. There are those that try to teach that. The same with those that try to teach uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, that they were married and that they had children. Uh, you have to be careful with some of the teachings that are out there, some of the historical teachings that are out there. There's nothing homosexual here of the relationship uh, with uh, David and with Jonathan. And the relationship that Mary had towards Jesus, she clung on to him because she, that he was her Lord. And, and Mary was a woman, remember, cast out of her were seven demons. It's just the same love that we have for our Lord and Savior. And we can't take it into a, a next level. And some people like to do that so that they can bring their sin into the camp. You see, God allowed it. So then why can't we have a same-sex marriage? Why can't we have, you know, a homosexual or a lesbian? Well, it's sin. It's sin. And we don't come against the person. We come against the sin nature. And because today everybody wants to be politically correct, you have to be careful. I keep telling the leadership, how long are they going to allow me to say the things that I say on radio because I don't hold back. I give you the truth. And the guys that teach here will give you the truth. If we don't give you the truth, then why are we teaching God's word? We cannot pick and choose. And for Calvary Chapel, that's why it's important for us to go from Genesis to Revelation. You will hit every doctrine. And so I want you to see this relationship here. It's very important. We'll touch on it some more. In verse 2, it says, Saul took him that day and would not let him go home uh, to his father's house anymore. And so tr Saul's trying to keep them apart. But there was this bond. There was this love. There was this camaraderie, this friendship, and it goes deep. And look at verse 3 now. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, a promise, uh, a league, if you may, because he loved him as his own soul. There was this true friendship. I want you to write it down. You know the verse already. Proverbs 27 and verse 17, the New Living Translation. As iron sharpens iron, uh, so a friend sharpens another friend. Now, I want you to put on your thinking cap. I, you know, I'm, my age is in there, so I grew up back in, in the late 50s and the mid-60s, and I was in high school, graduating in 65, so you can imagine. But in grammar school, the same high school, the same grammar school, my friend and I grew up together, Lupe Diaz, and he was my comrade in arms. We did everything together. and. Uh, from the first grade to basically high school. And then we got married. He got married. I stood for him. 
uh, it, it was a beautiful situation. But I came to the Lord, so that gave us a separation. But we still kept in contact. So some of you know the story. I was waiting. Uh, we were at in California visiting. We were getting ready to leave that day, that evening. And the phone call is at my mom's house, and they said, tell Bob that his friend Lupe, this is his sister, he had a massive aneurysm. And it doesn't look good for him. My mom says, he's right here. And so we got the phone. Mary and I ran over to the hospital. I got to pray for him. I got to lead him to Christ because he died by 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, he went quickly. And we were friends to the end. I stayed and I had the privilege of doing the funeral. And so my wife has a good friend, Irene. They've grown up together. She's been out here to visit. Uh, she uh, lives in Arizona. But uh, her husband, Bobby, good friend of mine. And we grew up together also. And uh, he passed away. And I did his funeral. And it's been uh, quite a few of my friends that I've done funerals to. But, you know, I'm trying to share with you. Some of you might give us a story after. You might still have somebody that's a close friend. And even though marriage and sometimes moving from one state to another, that friendship is still there. And one of the things that's happening today, Facebook is allowing people to hook up. And there's a group of my friends that are meeting every month, and they're waiting for Mary and I to go to California. They want to see me at one of the breakfasts. And I says, are you sure you guys want to see me? You know what I'm going to tell you. Oh, yeah, they want to see you. Well, the guy that's telling me they want to see you, he's a believer. <laughs> and so we'll see what happens. But uh, the relationship here is good relationship. And to try to take it further, because people have and you're going to run into that look at verse 4 Jonathan took off the robe now that was on him and gave it to David uh, with his armor even uh, to his sword and his bow and his belt this is you know exchanging something like this shows the true camaraderie the true friendship uh, basically what's yours is mine and mine is yours so David went out wherever Saul sent him, and behaved wisely, and Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. David, one of my commentaries said that basically David was like a field marshal. He was in charge of men. We're going to read in a minute here that he was in charge of over a thousand men. But it's interesting to me that Saul hated this boy, this young man, and yet he slew the giant that nobody else wanted to deal with, and gives his daughter away, and now he's watching him like a hawk, but he wants him to fight for him and his army, right? And so uh, there's mixed emotions here, but remember this, that the foul spirit would not always be there on Saul, but it would come from time to time, and I've struggled with that for years. But yet, God is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. Look at verse 6. So now it, it had happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine. I like that word, slaughter. They massacred them. That the women uh, had come out of their cities of Israel, uh, singing and dancing uh, to meet King Saul. I like that. But let's continue. With tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments. I mean, this is this was a customary 
when you came home in victory and you honor your king and such. But look at the next verse. So the women sang as, as they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands. But then they continued the verse and David is ten thousands. When they came to that second stanza of the verse, I, I would have loved to have seen Saul's face. What? What did he say? Did it, I hear them correctly? And then the song kept going. And so the anger is definitely there. Verse 8 tells us, Then Saul was very angry, and the same displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what is Saul concerned of? He's going to lose his kingdom. Well, I got news for him. It's already been taken away. He just doesn't know it. He continues on. We shared a couple of weeks ago, uh, 42 years. But the kingdom was taken away. Why did God wait so long? He wants David to see. He wants David to learn. And again, we learn from the mistakes. And yet David made a lot of mistakes. Don't forget that. Notice now as we continue. In verse 9, so Saul eyed David. I like that. Uh, from that day forward, Saul did not trust him. And that foul spirit is going to come upon him. But <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, somebody's ever kind of wronged you. And then you go, I got you. I'm watching you. You know, and, and you say, I'm going to keep my, that's what he's saying here. I'm going to keep my eye on you. Well, you know, who's keeping an eye on David? God is. God is taking care of David. And, and I don't see David complaining here. I see David trying to serve his king. Notice verse 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit, this is that foul spirit, from God. I like that came upon Saul, and he prophesied. Now, this was strange inside the house, and so David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. God gave Saul a displeasing a spirit. Uh, this spirit caused Saul to, to prophesy. I want you to see that. Uh, listen, not, not good prophecies, but evil prophecies. Demonic prophecies, demonic situations. We know Saul becomes like a madman. Notice that the next verse is going to say he tries to kill David. This is just the beginning. And David loves his king. And he will not touch God's anointed. Remember that. I want you to write this down. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities and rulers of darkness of this world. Now, we can sometimes see our enemy, and David didn't even see Saul as his enemy. He saw him as his king. He loved David. He loved Saul, that is. But Saul saw him as his enemy, and he tries desperately to get rid of him, but it's not going to happen. Look at verse 11 now. He says, And Saul cast the spear uh, for he said, I will pin David uh, to the wall. But David escaped his presence. Listen to this. Twice. Saul tries it. 
Like he's going to pull the wool over God's eyes. David just moves off to the side. And this is a constant thing you're going to see. Now, if God is before you, who can be against you? And so David is following the Lord. Uh, we know that Saul is not following the Lord. And we know from time to time, a false spirit, a disturbing spirit comes upon him. In verse 12, now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him. But had departed from Saul. Remember we shared the word Ichabod. The glory of the Lord had departed from Israel. When the Ark of the Covenant was captured, well, the glory of the Lord has departed uh, from Saul. I find that very interesting. Because there are those that say, well, listen, uh, once God anoints you, you're anointed. Be careful with that. Once God saves you, you're saved. Again, be careful with that. Well, you say, Pastor Bob, you don't believe once saved, always saved? Yes. But are you walking with God? Don't tell me you're a Christian. Don't tell me you speak in tongues. Don't tell me you're anointed of God. Don't tell me uh, that you're filled with the Spirit and the evidence is there. But on the other hand, you're living a life of hell. You're fornicating. You're committing adultery. <laughs> you're selling drugs. You continue to curse. You continue to lie. You continue to gossip, even though the scriptures say don't. There has to be change. You know, Pastor Raw used to share this. I'm not here to judge any one of you. But God has called me to be a fruit inspector. I like that because the Bible says you're going to know them by their fruit. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Bob? Peaches, oranges, bananas? No, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, and it starts with what? Love. Agape love has to flow through your, your veins. Honestly, I just, I don't have a hatred for anybody. I, I don't like what some of the Muslims do, but I don't hate them. I pray for them. I pray for them. I don't like what some of my family members back home, uh, the youngsters, they're in their 30s now. That's some of the things they're doing. And they went to Catholic school system just like Mary and I did. They haven't been in church in years. And yet, because they were water baptized as an infant, and because they made confirmation, and because they made Holy Communion, and because some of them still carry a scapular. So what? Do you know Christ? You have a relationship with Christ. That's very important to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if a man, if a woman is in Christ, he or she's a new creation. There has to be change. There has to be metamorphosis. Now, has God changed my life? Yes. Has God changed your lives? Yes. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Do you sin? Yes. Do I sin? Yes. But we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, the lawyer for my defense. I'm saying that when, you know, I, I get, I come to saving grace and then I run off and continue to, you know, see the, the girlfriend or, or the girls continue to see the boyfriend and their sexual relationships there. Come on, something's wrong. There hasn't been change. And so there has to be transformation. Now, how do I develop all this teaching? And it comes out of John chapter 15. 
Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. The word to abide in the Greek, if you stay in me, I will stay in you. I'm walking with God, you're walking with God, he stays with you. But if I'm not walking with God, answer it. Why should he stay with me? Why should he stay with me if I'm not walking with God? Now, I make a mistake. I, I stray. I come back to the sheepfold. I'm talking about something different. The doctrine of abiding in Christ is very important. I believe in eternal security. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But don't tell me that you're doing this sin nature, whatever it might be, and it continues. It, it just can't. Go back and study John chapter 15. We've spent time on that many times over and over. Look at verse 13 now. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. So this foul spirit calms down. He comes back to reality. And he makes David captain over a thousand men. Why? Because he sees the results. He sees the results. He doesn't like David. He's tried to have him killed. It's failing every time because God is with David. God is with David. Notice verse 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we're the ones that leave the Lord. You know, I've had people tell me, Pastor Bob, God's not with me anymore. What have you done? Well, I haven't done nothing. You haven't done nothing? You have to have done something. And it's a continued something. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel his power. I don't feel, you know, where I was 10 years ago. Get back into the Lord. Then you ask a few questions. Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you fellowshipping? And you get, no, 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 but, but the Lord's not with me. Really? Well, you know, it's the same thing. You say, my wife doesn't love me anymore. When's the last time you took her to dinner? When's the last time you bought her candy? When's the last time? Okay, okay, stop. Then you get the picture, right? I don't understand people. Notice now, let's continue here. In verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and he came in before them. David led troops in and he led troops out. Listen to this. Successfully. They love David. They want David around. And what is David doing that Saul isn't doing? Number one, he loves the Lord. Secondly, he trusts God. He trusts God. He's not even afraid of King Saul. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understandings, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. In verse 16, David went in, David went out, the battles were his. So now he, he gets Michal as his wife. In verse 17, then Saul said to David, here's my older daughter before Michal, Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, 
but let the hand of the Philistines be against them. Okay, here's something. We think we can fool God. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I have. I'll admit it to you. Well, God's not going to say, oh, yes, he does. This this is uh, Saul thinking, you know, well, David might not get the picture, but God does. God sees all things, doesn't he? And so Psalm 139, if you've never read it, it's called the all-seeing eye of God. And so remember the little boy that dad pulls over and there's a beautiful, you know, orchard or what is those grove of, of corn. And so the little boy's right there. The dad goes in to steal some corn. He tells the little kid, keep your eye. Look that way down the street. Look this way and look that way. Anybody comes, whistle. And so he does, and he comes back, a couple of bags of corn, and the, 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 the dad says, good job, son. Dad, you forgot to tell me one more thing. You told me to look this way, that way, east, west, south, north. You forgot to tell me to look up. Uh, let's put the bags back. We forget to, you know, exaggerate it, because if you're in Australia, you're looking down, right? But we forget God sees all things. He's the all-seeing eye of God. And so we have to be aware of that. We have to trust God. And verse 18, so David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be a son-in-law to the king? I love David's humility. David is saying to Saul, I'm nothing. My family is nothing in Israel. That I should be the son-in-law to a king? David was a shepherd boy. Uh, In a sense, he was a a simpleton. And yet, God didn't see that. Again, remember we've shared so many times, God never looks on the outward man. Oh, this got to be the guy. Look at him, man, Mr. GQ. God looks at the heart. I like that. In verse 19, but it happened as a time uh, when Mirab, uh, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, uh, the Meholite, as a wife. Mirab, her name means to increase in the Hebrew. Uh, This is who David was supposed to have married, the oldest daughter for slaying Goliath, but it never happened. Uh, She was given to Adriel, uh, it was from the tribe of Eshekar, that's all we know, from the city of Moholah. And there's not much more said about that. Now, Michal, uh, Saul's daughter, loved David and told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Dad, what are you doing? You know, this. my sister's married to this other guy. And I love David. This is who I want to marry. And so David or Saul makes the right choice here. And it pleased him, it says. In verse 21, so Saul said, I will give her to him uh, that she may be a snare. Listen to it, uh, to him. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, uh, you shall be my son-in-law today. A second time? I mean, not letting David go. But it didn't happen that way. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David, 
Verse 22, secretly, and say, look, uh, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. And so Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Seeing I am a poor, I am poor and lightly esteemed man. Uh, David, right here, my own interpretation, listen, I'm just a zero. David saying, I'm just poor and humble, uh, of humble means. I have no dowry, because that was the issue back in the day. A dowry would have been very uh, lucrative in Israel, and David knew this. And the servants of Saul told him, verse 24, saying, in this manner David spoke, and so they revealed to King Saul. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry but 100 foreskins of the Philistine uh, to take vengeance in the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistine. There's a backfire here. And again, uh, you see, what Saul is saying sounds good. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to get rid of David. But he forgets David is in control by God. And, and church tonight, nothing again, remember this, please don't, never forget, nothing can happen to you unless it first filters through God's hands. My brother will not go on an airplane uh, for the life of him. He's afraid of it. And he says, you go for me. People offer him and he just, that's the way he is. And I just, I don't think anything of it. People say, how can you be on that airplane so long when you go to Israel? I go, easy. I go to sleep. Then I get up, have something, uh, a beverage to drink. They have everything for you. They let you walk the cabin. And then uh, you always get this one. Well, what if you have to go to the bathroom? They have bathrooms there. What do you think? Uh, Twelve hours in the air, hold on to it, okay? People just, they don't think, do they? One of the girls that went with us, my daughter's friend, uh, Danielle, she was sicker than a dog. Poor thing. And they pumped her up with uh, all kinds of NyQuil. She slept. When we all got to Israel, you, you, got, you have jet lag. And she was all peppery, raring to go. Let's go. Hey, all you did was sleep for 12 hours straight, man. We're going to get drugged up like you when we go. <laughs> Look at, uh, no, we won't do that. Look at verse 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David. Listen, uh, well, to become the king's son-in-law. Now, uh, the day had not expired. But what I see here, it, it, again, this this even adds more to thinking the homosexual relationship between him and Jonathan. David loves Michal. That's his wife. Uh, there was a time limit, though. And yet David trusted God. Therefore, David rose, arose and went, and his men, and they killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal. Uh, his daughter as a wife. Now, in a full count, now I'm not going to go there, okay? 
Let's leave that to you guys. In verse 28, uh, thus Saul saw and, and knew that the Lord was with David. Listen, even though the disturbing spirit would come from time to time, he knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, uh, Saul's daughter, loved him. At this point, is Saul being broken? Oh, you can say yes. You can say that God's going to break him to a certain extent. But yet, we're going to continue. This man is foul when it comes to it. When that foul spirit comes upon him, he is a foul man. Look at verse 29. And Saul was still more afraid of David. Listen to the word, afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. I put this in my notes. The fear of the Lord radiated from David to Saul. That fear of the Lord is the reverence of God. There are just people that love the Lord and people that you want to be around that love the Lord. And you know God's working in and through their lives and you want to ask them, pray for me. Pray for me. But you're not going to pick somebody that's not, you know, in tune with God, somebody that's not serving the Lord. It just doesn't work that way. And so verse 30 now, the princes of the Philistines uh, went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely. I like that. Than all the servants of Saul. And so that his name became highly esteemed, lifted up. The best of the Philistines army, that's the princes here, came to battle David. Yet David behaved wiser in battle than all of Saul's servants. David was lifted up. Why? Because David uh, was a servant of the Lord. David wouldn't go to battle until God gave the okay. David waited upon the Lord. And yet, we're going to continue. When you get to the life of David, more intense. And the man uh, was a sinful man. Has sex with uh, Bathsheba. They have a child out of wedlock. Cover his sin. Tries to kill her husband. Eventually he does. And that's Uriah. Then Nathan the prophet has to come and bust David. Uh, he thought, I'll just push you know, my sin underneath the carpet. Uh, maybe so, but God's going to bring somebody. God's going to bust somebody. And so, beautiful, beautiful here. Now, we've seen the resentment. Now, the resentment goes to persecution and in chapters 19 now. And so we begin in verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. Not just the resentment anymore, church. But now I want death. I want blood. And so that's what I'm saying. Be careful when you harbor whatever it might be. That harboring gets you and it, it builds up in you. And it churns within you. And it's vile inside. Let it go. Let it go. They say the hardest thing in prison life is for inmates to forgive themselves. It's tough because they know what they've done. And they can only forgive themselves with the power of God. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father, Saul seeks to kill you. Listen, he's warning his friend. 
over his bed. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. I want you to see this. Imagine that Jonathan, Saul's son, has wisdom over his king, which is his dad. Jonathan was not taking any chances. The order was given. And he does not want David killed. Friendship. Camaraderie. Look at verse 3. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field uh, where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. I like that Jonathan is intervening here for his friend, David. Listen to this. Very important because in the Jewish culture, he's intervening for David over his dad's command. But the wisdom of Jonathan, he can see that this command is not from the Lord. It's from the enemy. It's from Lucifer. It's from Satan himself. In verse 5, for he took his left, for he took his, his life in his hand, and he killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance from all Israel, who saw it and rejoiced over it. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without cause? The pleading, the pleading by Jonathan. But the problem is Saul's heart. The heart is always the problem. Please understand this verse. We've shared it many times. In uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who knows the heart? God knows the heart. Now my wife knows me very well. But there are things in my heart she doesn't know. There are things in her heart uh, I don't know. But God knows my heart. I don't recommend this to any one of you. If you ever really get serious with God and you say, Lord, show me my heart. Be ready. Not a pretty picture. We're evil by nature. We're evil by nature. My mom loved telling the story. And my wife now brings it back to me. When I was a kid, I was one of the first grandsons and such. And and so I was a little bit older, and all the kids were around me. We'd be on the floor, and uh, I had the toys, and I didn't want to share with nobody. And I, I learned one word, mine. Mine. Pull it in. Mine. And mind you, we didn't have the toys you guys have today for your children. We had simple toys, you know. My top, my yo-yo, my jacks. Mine. And then my mom would take me out of the, the middle there, and she'd Take me off to the side and tell the kids, go ahead and play. Oh, my God, take a knife and stick it in me. How did I learn that? How do you learn that? They say the age of development is the first uh, three to four years. You know, look at the things your kid. Uh, tell me, those of you that have had children already, did you teach your daughter, your son to lie? Did you teach him to curse? Where do they learn it? They pick it up quick. And so if you don't bring them to church, they're going to pick it up out there in the streets, whatever it might be. The heart is deceitful and is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Only the Lord. He tests the reins of the heart. 
And so he knows exactly what's going on here. And so verse 6 says, says, So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Uh, that's <laughs> easier said than done. Then John, Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul. Listen to that. He brought David to Saul. He was in his presence as in times past. What an opportunity for Saul. And there was war again. Verse 8. And David went out and he fought with the Philistines. And he struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. Saul is so blind. Saul is so blind. And, and, and take heed to that. Because we can become so blind. And Satan can wrap us up. And, and he blinds us. We can't see. He, he stops up our ears. We can't hear. And then takes care of my thinking, my discerning, and the enemy has you. You have to recognize the enemy. That's why Paul speaks to us in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. Because you're going to have to battle the wiles and the schemes of the devil. And I've told you before, when I'm putting a study together, especially the Sunday morning study, uh, I want to speak to the hearts of the people, a lot of believers, a lot of non-believers. And the enemy will come against you. And the enemy tries to uh, just get you out of line. And so notice what's going on here. In verse 9, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, interesting, and David was playing music with his hand. Uh, God doesn't seem to concern himself to bring this foul spirit on him every time he has a javelin in his hand because God is in control. God is in control. Saul chose this life, so God gave it to him. Saul opened up his heart to this life. We can't blame God. Remember, God anointed him king over Israel. He was humbled in the beginning. He loved the Lord. Saul served the Lord. Then he, told, he was told to destroy the Amalekites. And he disobeyed God. Disobedience can come in so quick. Disobedience. You can, you can do a hundred good things. And then you disobey God. I don't want to disobey God. I want to be obedient to God. I want to be obedient to his word. And then people say, well, Pastor Bob, God's not blessing me. Well, I need to check your life. You need to check your life. Why isn't God blessing you? What are you doing? And again, let's go back to the basics. Are you praying? No. Are you reading? No. Are you going to church? No. You want God to bless you? You see I mean, I, I see, I hear it all the time, church. I hear it all the time. In verse 10, again, same scenario. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. And so David fled and escaped that night. I, I don't want to see God as a genie in the box, but every time he's getting ready to throw the spear, where did he go? And David moved. God moved them because it wasn't David's time. It wasn't David's time. Same thing goes with us. 
In verse 11, so Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, his wife, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Saul's daughter, she loves him. She loves David deeply. That's her husband. And, you know, is she warning him? Or is she warning him for her dad? I don't know. So Michal uh, led David down through a window and went and fled and escaped. Whatever it took to spare David's life. But if she did nothing, God still would not allow it to happen. Isn't this a reminder when uh, Saul of Tarsus was lowered out of the basket in Damascus? Like a little doggy, you know? On the way over, on the flight home, I tell Mary, where's that dog noise coming from? They had a dog underneath us in, in, in the compartment, and I guess the medicine wore off. He didn't like it in there. Uh, I says, gosh, why do these people bring their animals? Anyway, that's their business, right? So Mikhail's warning lowers them out through the window but listen to this. And Michal took an image and laid it uh, in the bed, uh, put a cover over with goat's hair for his head, and covered it uh, with cloth. As soon as I read that years ago, all I could think of was Escape from Alcatraz. Remember that? <laughs> Clint Eastwood, he makes that doll head. Anyway, that I shouldn't watch those movies, but I like them. <laughs> And so when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick, uh, the, the cover-up for David's life. Then Saul sent the messengers back to, to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. I, I mean, this guy, is he's going to go all the way with this thing. And when the messengers had come in, there, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goats, a hair at his head. And so this is the fake image of a man, obviously. And then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away? This is his daughter, remember? And so that he has escaped. And Michal answered and said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I, why should I kill you? Who's Saul speaking of his enemy? His enemy's David. Imagine he saw David as his, as his enemy. And David loved him. Notice that she said, if you don't let me go, I will kill you. So she's trying to cover up for her husband as much as possible and trying to appease, listen, her dad. Her dad. And again, he's the king, so you got to pay attention to him. And so verse 18, so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done uh, to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth, Naoth. And so David's escape plan. Everything's in control. God has, you know, the issue in hand. Using Michal, uh, Saul's getting angrier. So what? Nothing's going to happen. In verse 19, so it was told Saul saying, uh, Take note, David is at Naoth uh, to, uh, in Ramah. 
And so tra- the news travels quickly, and thinking, let's going to take care of this. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets, listen to this, prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God uh, came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. I like that. Saul is being led by a false spirit. David is being led by the Spirit of God. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was selective. And it would fall upon certain kings, judges, would fall upon, you know, Deborah. It would fall upon Esther, fell upon Ruth. I mean, you know, we would see that. Uh, The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts in chapter 2 has been poured out to anybody that asks. He's not selective anymore. But in the Old Testament, he was selective. Now, I want you to see this. Saul is being led by a false spirit. David is being led by the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit. Mark this verse down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Paul, in ministering to the church at Corinth, he warns them. There was a lot of false teachings going on. He says to them, there is another spirit out there. There's another gospel out there. And there's another Jesus out there. They're all being preached. You ever heard somebody say, but they're preaching about Jesus. Well, go see with the Mormons, the Jesus that they worship. Go see the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Jesus that they worship. Jesus is not the half-brother of Lucifer. It's very important to see this. And and yet people buy into all this. It's so easy to get duped into it. Jehovah's Witnesses are a huge organization. I, I, I love them. We need to minister to them. And we have a group of young men that are coming, and they're going to minister here on a Wednesday night, They're ex-Mormons for Jesus, and they're going to come and share their testimonies. The Mormon people are wonderful. They're beautiful. Sometimes they make Christians look bad. But they're worshiping another God. Jesus is not Michael the archangel. Jesus is not Lucifer's brother. John chapter 1, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Jesus is the incarnate God. When Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he takes it to the next step just in case you didn't believe it. The Father and I, he says, the Father and I are one. Deity. Deity. Very important here. And so Paul warns the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.4, there's another spirit out there, another gospel out there, another Jesus being preached out there. Be careful. In verse 21, and when Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. Again, the devil does not quit. Temptations will be there. Go back and study Matthew chapter 4, and you see the temptations of Jesus before he came into his public ministry. 
Three times he was tested by the enemy. And so Jesus was tested. Jesus was tempted. What about us? Let's finish this off. In verse 22, then he, speaking of Saul, he also went to Ramah. And he came to the great well that is at Sikhu. Uh, so he asked and he said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. Listen to this. Again, we can struggle all you want. Wait a minute. You said earlier, God sent a false spirit. He did. Now the Spirit of God is upon him. He did. God can do what he wants. Because he's coming to kill David. And so watch this now. I like this so and so he asked and he said, where are Samuel and David? And they tell him, Naoth Ramah. So he went there <laughs> and he went on and he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. Radical. The spirit of God was upon Saul. Verse 24, the conclusion. And then he also stripped off his clothes. This is Saul, and he prophesied before Samuel in, a, in like manner, and he laid down naked all that day and, and all the night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? This had to have been puzzling. The sight of it was puzzling. We've seen when the false spirit comes upon him, and now we see he's prophesying. And then they give this quote here, is Saul also among the prophets? Again, all I can tell you is that God can do whatever he wants. Now, please don't think that he's sitting there naked. He's not naked as we think, but he took off his king's garments and he was there in his undergarments. In other words, he wasn't in the king position, but he was there to prophesy. And God had him to prophesy. And again, this is Saul's life. Goes back and forth, back and forth. He's not finished yet. And David says, why do you keep coming after me? I love you. He had such a love, so, such an admiration. He looked at him as his king. A lot of preachers like to use that term that we're going to read later. David says, I will not touch God's anointed. Preachers that are doing things that are wrong, sometimes will use that and say, you're not to touch God's anointed. Well, I'm not going to touch God's anointed, but God's going to touch you. And so we try to escape with that. We try to, you know, give a different angle. Again, is your life right with God? That's what needs to be done. Look at David's life. Uh, look at Saul's life. And please, David was not perfect. He was a sinful man. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. And uh, we will continue uh, next week. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we worship you. And we stand in awe of your promises. Lord, speak to us in this area uh, of holding resentment against somebody and, and then following it, that resentment gets deeper. Next thing we know, uh, it could be persecution. 
the resentment, the hatred, and even to the point of wanting to kill somebody. Lord, help us to not go to that place, Lord. Help us to have love and compassion and grace. Help us not to be like others that we see, this hatred, this this down deep hatred. They want to kill and kill and think they're pleasing God. It doesn't make sense. When Jesus said, love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, everything that's within thee. Love God. Then secondly, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, Father, help us and encourage us, Lord. Bless your people as they've come uh, tonight. And if anybody is struggling with resentment, uh, they need to bring it to the cross even tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.